0: Hi, on this 9th episode of Insider Investing, I welcome back Vaibhav, who is just recovering from Covid by the way, and he talks about a cautionary note when it comes to investing in 2022. We also discuss a very interesting concept of a clash of civilization that's happening in the investing world right now. To find out more, watch, listen to the rest of this episode. hi veva welcome back to insider investing 2022 has started off with a big bang and not necessarily in a good way right we've seen a massive sell-off in growth and innovation economy stocks as as they are now called i was looking at prices of peloton which is this home fitness uh, gear company that's apparently down from 120 dollars to 27 dollars Your ARK Innovation ETF, which uh, as some of us called the rocket ship of 2021, has lost $14 billion in size. And even the Nasdaq index is down 10%. And it's an interesting time in investing because you feel like there's a clash of civilizations that is playing out in front of our eyes. On one side, you have the Warren Buffet style, old world, boring, fundamental analysis, driven investing. And on the other side, you have this exciting, narrative-driven, YOLO, thematic, conceptual investing that's uh, going on. What do you think about this whole narrative style of investing? And it's a new term that even I have learned very recently.
1: It's it's been always there, Sandeep. Uh, And uh, glad that I'm back here. Uh, You know, I was down with COVID uh, and uh, good that I've recovered from it. Could come for this. Honestly, on this narrative-based investing, it's always been there. Most of the bubbles which get formed in the market are formed around these once in a lifetime opportunity, which are easy to communicate. So if you go back in time, look at uh, the tulip mania or you look at South Sea bubble uh, for which uh, uh, Newton also fell for that uh, or you look at Mississippi bubble or you look at Tech bubble of 90s most of these are built around strong narratives of a once in a lifetime opportunity consistent across uh, that's how bubbles can be you know, formed and can gather sp- steam uh, from more and more people who believe in that narrative
0: but what are the like recent bubbles and before this one and assuming that i think it's too early for us to call it a bubble maybe that history will tell us but if you just go back in time in in our living history which are the bubbles that you've seen globally or in India? Or like this narrative-driven style of investing which you've seen globally or in India?
1: So first, uh, uh, we were exposed to the dot-com bubble when number of eyeballs uh, per website was the criteria to define the valuation of the companies. And and, and all of us know how it uh, ended. In India also, I remember the period between 2003 to 2007, Most of these businesses uh, in real estate, there was a strong narrative which was at play. A real estate company was valued based on the land holdings that it had. Everyone said that they will have an ability to develop so many square foot over the next four to five years and on a discounted basis, their cash flow should be valued at so much and therefore per share price should be so much. And these narratives, the thing about narratives is it's easy to communicate these narratives. If we go back further and look at Harshad Meta type, the replacement value narrative. If you were to set up a plant for ACC cement today, what would be the replacement cost? Was the narrative which was being played? So these narratives have always been there. The good thing is people buy it uh, easily and the bad thing is that the outcomes are always bad.
0: Yeah. And you see some like, like, you know, probably we are too old. But we see some very easily identifiable ways of looking at narrative styles, right? Yeah. You hear about this concept that you should buy the stock of the product that you use. Okay. That's a narrative style of investing. Easy to explain, easy to understand, and easy to buy these stocks. You hear about this fact that the founder is a rock star.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: And it's almost like demigod status being given to the founder and therefore value being attributed to the company that the founder runs you yeah. called out the once in a lifetime opportunity that this is so good that you have to you have to get into this yeah. and you know and i feel like we are all intelligent human beings so we in private people talk about the the fact that there is something wrong but the public commentary is all positive like yeah. i have seen fund managers privately uh, talking to us about how certain stocks are super overvalued yeah, But when I hear them on, on public media, it's all normal and it's all fine. And there's no reference to profit and all of those terms sound a little boring. So sometimes maybe these are like easy ways of identifying what a narrative style is. It'll be actually interesting, Vabhav, to understand like why has this done so well? Like what is happening in the last couple of years that this narrative style has caught on?
1: There are two, three reasons. So first to address your questions around why we fall for it. It's a, it's a collective action problem. All of us want to act in uh, hoards, right? So individually, it's difficult to stand out and say that I'll take a contrarian bet. You don't want to appear stupid. So nobody would want to uh, act against the crowd. And that narrative is becoming stronger and stronger where you don't want to act against the crowd. Most of the fund managers have fallen for it because they have access to easy liquidity. And they don't know what to do with that liquidity. So that's been uh, another reason. Third and uh, very interesting reason is your ability to communicate the idea. Social media has given you that platform where you can distribute your idea or do a mass distribution of your philosophy and idea to a much larger audience than what it was possible earlier and uh, covid gave us that time all of us while we were spending time at uh, home we we got hooked onto our social media platforms and uh, bought into these ideas so that's uh been uh, a big uh, reason according to me for last couple of years uh, where narrative based investing has picked up
0: i i love the fact that you spoke about how fund managers are also sometimes getting drawn into this thing right i i, I empathize with a mutual fund manager who is is wanting to be right by the investors and being careful, cautious about the stocks that he or she is buying. But on the other hand, they are getting these huge inflows of capital coming into their fund. And they also have to outperform on a near term basis. Otherwise, nobody wants to invest in that fund. I see a lot of like websites recommending specific mutual funds to investors under the category of top performers. And top performers by the very definition are the funds which have done well in the recent times. So if a fund manager has to get those funds and, you know, claim from investors that they should put money into them, they have to demonstrate near-term performance, which then leads them to sort of buy more of these narrative style and sort of like a a vicious cycle.
1: No, it's it's been playing out and it's been, uh, they're getting more and more pronounced uh, day by day. But unfortunate part of this is that people invest or uh, commit most of the capital at the peak of performance cycle and we have spoken about thematic plays also. Whenever a theme is becoming exceedingly popular, possibly that's the time to stay away from that theme. It's easy to raise money in a theme because you have uh, uh, historical data, you can rely on that historical data to sell that narrative and people buy into that narrative.
0: You know, I want to like go deeper into this thematic investing issue. And we see a lot of that happen very recently. I've seen this this concept that buy tech stocks and people creating these groups of tech stocks and buying into those. Then you see certain concepts like EVs are hot. So you should buy EV related businesses. And people are creating groups of companies which are impacted by, you know, the positive uh, sort of momentum towards EVs. How should investors think about this web app? Because and where should like, does it find part uh, part of your portfolio? Is it part of your long-term portfolio? Is it part of something that you want to play with? How should investors think about it?
1: Investor should leave it to the better judgment of the fund manager. And uh, I've seen over the last 20 years of my career, most of the investments in each of these themes come at the peak of performance cycle and I can Speak a few examples, uh, uh, in uh, 2000, the maximum amount of flows came in tech companies, right? That was the peak of the performance cycle. In 2007, maximum amount of investments went into infra and real estate theme, peak of performance cycle. In 2013, maximum amount of money got invested in pharmaceutical, peak of performance cycle. Uh, now we are seeing uh, maximum amount of investing going into unlisted and tech place and uh, I don't know whether it's too early but it looks like uh, some of these plays which had become popular uh, uh, over the last couple of years like stay-at-home plays. So you spoke about the company uh, which are into home fitness uh, equipment or uh, we've seen results from Netflix also yesterday. The growth of subscri- subscriber is uh, going down. So these are evidences that uh, themes don't last for too long And it's hazardous for investors to invest money in themes because by the time they hear about the theme, it's already uh, way beyond uh, realizing its potential. Yeah.
0: So I agree. Themes don't last for long. Great companies do. But analyzing great companies is not exciting. It's the boring activity. And sometimes it's a lot of detail, which you can't really put out on social media, which means that the fundamental analysis experts are finding it actually hard to gather attention from social media because they there's no narrative to sell like and it's early to say whether uh, how arc plays out because in the long run uh, it might still do really well but cathy's whole narrative about innovative economy is a very seductive narrative it it's something that you can relate with it's easy to understand for the brain but at the same time if you the devil is always in the details and when you look at individual companies and you say look there is no profit visibility for many many years There's no business model here. Then you begin to question how it will perform when the liquidity sucks out. And that potentially is beginning to happen now. We are seeing interest rates rise. We are seeing now Fed finally talking about shrinking its balance sheet. Uh, The same investors who were doing the stay at home plays or who were investing from home are now beginning to go out again. And therefore beginning to break into their portfolios to take out money. So suddenly you have the situation where the easy liquidity was there. Chasing these themes is no longer there.
1: No, absolutely. And uh, since you touched upon Cathy and uh, the whole talk about innovation, the biggest issue and the reason for which bubbles are formed, they always follow some uh, big technological innovation. And people find it difficult to estimate the productivity gains out of this technology. And therefore, most of these bubbles get formed. You can and uh, we tend to overestimate the productivity gains more often than not. And therefore, the wealth loss which happens on account of investing in these companies at the peak of valuation is uh, pretty large. You remember we were talking about this uh, example of investing in Wipro in 2000 at the peak of a market cap at 2, 20 thousand crores. It took 20 years for a company like Wipro, despite all the growth and profitability, to come back to the same market cap. So that's, that's the issue. You, you can't clearly estimate what will be the productivity gain of this innovation and how it will impact other businesses and how competition will react to that. The other challenge that I see, Sandeep, is oversimplification of these ideas, their path to profitability, how competition will react to these innovation, what kind of restrictions they will follow, they will have to face, uh, how regulators will react to some of them, what will be the pace of growth once they achieve a certain size, all of these questions are always unanswered. Simply by saying that uh, this brand or product uh, is something that I use uh, on a day-to-day basis is not a good enough argument. Uh, In 2003, Nokia was as ubiquitous as uh, what Apple is today. Uh, If you had invested in Nokia with an assumption that uh, I use Nokia and everyone around me is also using Nokia, then you'd have lost significant money. Or the narrative that people are uh, using your services more and more Investing in telecom in 2005 with an assumption that uh, more subscriber base is getting built. Over the last 15 years, subscriber base has gone up by almost 200 times. But uh, wealth loss which has happened in telecom space in India is unprecedented. Because regulators and competition reacted very differently. So all of us talk about uh, growth in subscriber base, but nobody looks at how competition reacted to it and regulators reacted to it. So oversimplification of investing is the biggest enemy of uh, investor.
0: Yeah, it's a great point actually that you make that, you know, when we look at some of these thematic plays and we think of our innovation economy, the assumption is that everything else around that company will stay constant. And only that part, that that innovative uh, idea or the concept or the technology that that company has will allow it to stand out. But that's a false assumption to begin with because... The world will react. It is not a static situation that the equilibrium will be maintained and this company will break out. There are many other things at play. There are external factors, interest rates, etc. And which is why I agree about this fact of oversimplification. But the the other challenge is that the alternative to this is simple asset allocation, which is the age-old way of making money. But again, because it is age-old, it is considered to be some sort of non-sexy, uh, non-smart way of managing money.
1: It's sure. always been like that. Whenever there is a new narrative, uh, we start by saying it's different this time. But history and fundamentals of investing remains the same. You are not doing anything but discounting mm-hmm. future cash flow. If there are no cash flows, mm-hmm. then there is no NPP. Uh, It's It's a simple principle yeah. of uh, cash flow discounting. <laughs> so <laughs> either we are changing the metric of valuing these businesses and the financial gains out of it, or uh, we are just uh, uh, living in a fool's paradise.
0: But how do you feel as a chartered accountant, a rank holder at that, and when you are told that all of those are old world ways of looking at it, and you know, there is new age thing that is going on and you're not sharp enough to get it.
1: (laughs) I always go back to this book called Fool's Gold, which uh, I read about 2008 meltdown, And it gives me some comfort that what I'm thinking is not bad. (laughs) Most elevated fund manager lost their way in 2005, 6, 7. They saw that risk was building up, but still uh, got sucked into that. And it's very tempting. See, the thing with bubble is it's very difficult to identify when the bubble is forming. Mm -hmm. It's very difficult to stay away from it. And it's it's even more difficult to fight it at the peak. We had this discussion and uh, there's a lot of news media coverage about how uh, Raghuram Rajan identified uh, subprime crisis, but he identified it in 2005. Still lasted for three more years. Imagine he had gone short against that trade. He would have lost all of his net worth with that trade. So that's the challenge. So sometimes it's best to uh, stay out of it and maintain your sanity. It's it's great to not do uh, something sometimes.
0: Yeah, I think that's, that's the role really of an expert, but it's really hard. I can imagine because, you know, there's this us versus them thing playing out where, you know, one camp is telling you that you are, you are ancient, you're not in sync with what is happening. And the, the camp, which is saying, we're talking about caution has to keep a steady mind and stay focused on the long-term goals of their own money and the money that they are managing for others. However, my last question is the fact that we have seen a a crack begin to happen in the US and specifically within one set of companies, which is this uh, new economy growth uh, stocks. It has not come up to the mega caps just yet. If you look at Apple, there's no correction. I mean, it's possibly up uh, in the last few months. In the other stocks, this marginal correction that has happened, which you would put down to... Potentially regular profit taking and so on. Is this going to, is this sort of going to expand? Is this a virus that the rest of the market will also catch? Is this something that will potentially spill over to India? Is the natural concern that any of our listeners will have? What would you advise people to do right now?
1: So you spoke about uh, it not spilling over to big tech. And that's where my point of profitable versus non-profitable gets proved. These Mm. businesses are highly profitable and that's why they are better equipped to handle any kind of crisis in the market. It's likely to spill over to all the companies Mm. across the world where there is no visibility of profitability. And there is a constant need of capital. Mm. If there is a constant need of capital, then you Mm. need to raise capital regardless of the valuation. And if those valuations start going down, it creates Mm. a vicious cycle where existing investors will keep getting diluted and value of their equity will keep going down. So that will play out all across the world. Mm -hmm. Two factors which will determine the course first is how interest rates behave over next uh, six to nine months, because uh, if your cost of capital Mm -hmm. keeps going up, your multiples will keep going down. And second, uh, how much access to liquidity these Mm -hmm. companies will continue to get. We have always been careful about two things, not oversimplifying investing because investing uh, has multiple nuances. You can't ignore those nuances and just say that uh, because you are using this product or because you are seeing uh, uh, high growth in this sector, you should invest in that. There are multiple other elements uh, which are involved. Uh, Second uh, thematic uh, investing is something that we recommend all our investors to stay away from. If theme is good enough and it justifies its place in the portfolio, trust your fund managers that they will give it reasonable allocation in their portfolio also. Don't fall for, uh, I've seen uh, interesting uh, platforms which offer thematic investing and as I said, they are doing more disservice to investors than to other advisors. And I'm not seeing it as an over jealous uh, Competition or over jealous uh, advisor who is not able to offer something like that. But I firmly believe that uh, they are doing disservice to the entire industry and to investor as a community.
0: So Vebab, on that very cautious note and I did not expect to begin 2022 another year with on a, such a cautious note. Uh, it's great to have you back in the office and on the show. Thank you very much and hope to see you soon again. Thanks, thanks a lot sir. We hope you enjoyed tuning in today and got some great takeaways. You can listen to the episode on our website or wherever else you listen to your podcasts. If you wish to reach out to us, follow Deserve on LinkedIn or you can write to us at social deserve.in.